When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. What a run of holes. An eagle at 15, a birdie at 16, another eagle at 17. Five under for three holes. And he leads the way here at the Belfry. Dan, many, many congratulations. You've won your first DP World title in your rookie season on an iconic course in a marquee championship with a... Dan, many, many congratulations. You've won your first DP World title in your rookie season on an iconic course in a marquee championship with a brilliant round of 66. Just try and describe what this means to you. Yeah, I'm over the moon, really, but lost for words. But, yeah, I mean, I, I was playing pretty well coming into the week um, and you know with the conditions we had I knew it was going to be a bit of a grind so yeah I just kept, had to keep telling myself the whole week you know just just hang in there um, got pretty tough at times out there but uh, yeah I just managed to, to keep myself in it um, even though I yeah, wasn't really feeling it, feeling it today uh, yeah I don't know something I don't know had a switch or I don't know what happened but yeah that, those last few holes were just uh, yeah going to take a while to process I think Wow, unbelievable performance and an incredibly humble guy uh, by the sounds of it. Um, we'll hear a lot more from uh, Dan Hillier and a lot more about him as well as uh, time goes on. Uh, we've got Graham Beasley and Ben Strang with us on the panel this morning, which is uh, terrific also. Uh, ben Strang, Daniel Hillier, qualifies for the Open Championship and makes a real name for himself and a bit of money just by the by. Absolutely, and another horse to follow for any New Zealand golf fans looking towards that Open and at Royal Liverpool. It's um, fantastic news, and, and that is just, I mean, talk about a clutch performance going down the stretch uh, towards the end of the, the tournament. So to be five under through three and to, to close out the tournament in such a fashion is quite quite wild, really. That's that's um, that's stuff you sort of expect somebody like Tiger Woods to have done in his pomp. So... By no means are we saying Daniel Hillier is Tiger Woods, but that is a, a stunning finish and uh, such a great guy as well. I've dealt with him a couple of times, and, and he's such a great guy, so it's fantastic to see his success. Well, it comes out of hard work, uh, Graham Beasley, I would imagine, and uh, you know it is uh, the fruits of, uh, of a lot, lot of labour and practice fairways and uh, lead-up tournaments, etc., and uh, that puts him on the same level too with uh, Ryan Fox, who, of course, won the... Uh, Alfred Dunhill last year as well so uh, open status as well um, terrific uh, night for Daniel Hillier Graham yeah, yeah um, <clears throat> totally uh, it's not too bad from the um, from the boys in Porra um, to do that and so yeah and as you say gets now um, uh, entry into the open um, where he will play there alongside Fox he gets his European card for another couple of years um, so yeah, it's, a, it's um, a fantastic four days for him, um, and you know, on on such an iconic course too. You know, the Belfry posted Ryder Cups and uh, and British Opens in the past. So um, to do it on a course like that seems to make it even better. I think. Meanwhile, uh, just down the road a wee bit, in uh, a place called uh, London and at a cricket ground called Lords, uh, Graham Beasley. 
it was all happening and uh, my word um, I won't say it's underarm like but uh, the reaction from English cricket fans who are generally pretty polite particularly at Lords uh, was quite overpowering in the dismissal of Johnny Bairstow what have you made of all this palaver? Uh, there was a lot that happened in that test match, wasn't there? You know, even uh, going back a day into the Mitchell Stark non-catch, which was clearly a non-catch. I mean, he rolled the ball along the ground. So um, I can't see how people are getting upset about that. As for the run out of beds, though, yeah, I mean, technically that's out. Um, but <laughs> there's always some drama when Australia plays, isn't there? You know, it's always, as you say, the underarm or a Greg catch or Brad Haddon <laughs> claiming that Neil Broom was bold when he wasn't and things like that. They, um, but it's had such a long history of it. Um, people are comparing it to McCullum running out yearly in 2006 in Christchurch. There are some similarities, but the yearly thing, you know, the ball was still being thrown back in from the boundary when he left his breath. So um, even though McCullum and Fleming were kind of rightly castigated for that at the time. It wasn't as bad as last night. And then to see the, the bacon and egg tie set just go all feral in the long room afterwards, I mean, it's just mm. kind of the highlight of the ashes so far, seeing that. you know. And yeah, as, as you say, they're typically so polite and sort of, you know, the golf claps and all that kind of stuff. And then to see them sort of booing the Australian players as they walked around and sort of jostling them and all that kind of stuff. It was, um, yeah, it certainly went all off, didn't it? It did. Um, I, I've never seen anything like uh, that before at uh, Lords of all places, uh, Ben, I've got to say. And I just heard in one of the bulletins that uh, three uh, of uh, the Lords members have been suspended for altercations with Australian players. Now, gosh, I mean, that is just so unlike anything I've seen at the home of cricket. Yeah, and my cricketing history of, of games that have been played at Lords isn't that strong, but I'd, I'd wager that an incident like this, which is regarding the spirit of cr- cricket and the rules of cricket at the home of cricket, where where those rules and and the spirit is set, has kind of set off these members, and it's um, it was just remarkable. I mean. My take is, um, you, you know, particularly with the Stark uh, catch, I, I thought, you know, if I was playing, I would I would see that as a catch. I thought he was in control of the ball the whole time. Uh, I think it should have been given, but uh, but that's from a playing perspective, and I understand what the rules are, so it wasn't given. But this Johnny Bairstow one, I mean, the fact that he, he was batting inside his crease, he stopped and sort of marked the crease and then stepped out as if the over's over, and then, the, you know, the ball clatters into the bales, uh, into the stumps. That's... um. I mean, there's no intent at all for him to leave his crease without, you know, uh, you know, he's not out of ba- he's not out of balance for a normal stumping that you might see. He's not taking off for a run that you might see. Uh, it just just the whole thing is it, it reeks really. I I, I think it's a, an astonishing decision by Pat Cummins to to stick with the dismissal. I, I think it was the wrong move from him. I'll be fascinated to see what happens with Johnny Bairstow for the rest of the series now as well because. If you remember um, Jimmy Neesham saying with Bearstow, you just don't want to you don't want to do anything nasty to Johnny Bearstow. You want to make him a cup of tea and make him feel comfortable when he goes out, and then he'll maybe get out for ten or twenty. If you make him angry, he might just stick it to you and end up the top scorer for the rest of the series. I imagine if he can stay pissed, which I I think will be fairly easy for him after this, he could actually be a game changer for the rest of the series if England can figure out how they're playing because I don't think they're they're playing smart cricket at the moment. 
But someone like Johnny Bairstow, uh, with with a bit of anger behind him, could be a game changer for England. I agree. I agree totally. Uh, actually, I uh, I think there's uh, got to be a definite intent to run, <laughs> but there is history here. Um, that's the other thing. And, and cricketers of all people tend to stay with history. And um, you know, I, to me, I, I, the umpiring should be brought into bear here. I mean. Uh, <laughs> Rules are rules as such, but there's the intent to run thing here, the intent to benefit from leaving a ball going through to the keeper uh, comes into play for me, or it would have in our playing day, I can promise you that. Um, I, you know, you just wouldn't yeah. run a guy out who has really got no intention of profiting by that delivery. Um, and he just perhaps had a, a lack of, uh, well, and it's a lack of con- um, concentration or whatever, really. I, I think he was just... Just expecting the end of the over. Right, I'll go down and have a chat to Ben Stokes. Bang, I'm out. Uh, so it was really, really weird, Graham. But uh, aside from that, aside from that, what did you think of the tactics? Um, you know, Ben Stokes either wins it or we haven't got a chance. So I just wonder if they could revisit the fact that Stuart Broad scored 169 in a test match batting at number nine at Lords of all places. Why didn't he trust them a bit more? Uh, um, I think the Stuart Broad that got that 169 at Lords was quite a different batsman from the current Stuart Broad. I mean, he's been had a few times since then. He's just lost his confidence. Um, yeah, and, and actually, I think a big part of the England weakness is that Broad was coming in at number eight, and that showed how they had such a long tail. Um, I think England's batting in the first innings was pretty brainless. Um, you know, to go from 188 for one to be all out, just over 300, and there were some terrible shots during during that period of time. Um, but I think they're batting in the second innings, even though they lost all those wickets at the top of the order, they were caught out. You know, there were some really good bowling from Stark and Cummins there. Um, and then their batting last night was uh, a lot more sensible, yeah, apart from Besto going uh, uh, walkabouts. So. Um, and, and okay, most of the runs were being scored by uh, by Stokes, and it was all left to him. But I think England might be slightly working out to adapt their game. You know, they, they went from one ultra negative extreme to one very positive extreme, and that found them out. And in, in, in both of the first two tests, and you know, we we go back to Edgebaston and that the bold declaration on the first day, and 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 things like that. I think just since then they might be starting to tweak it. So I think it's going to be really interesting over the rest of the test in the series to see how England can can modify this this new way that they're playing. And I refuse to use that word, um, but you know, just sort of keep it a little bit um, uh, adjusted to the to the state that the test is in, um, and 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 go from there. But I mean, I think on paper, <laughs> Australia's a better side, and 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 that's the main issue that England have got rather. Than Tactics. It's the fact that Australia's bowlers are just that little bit quicker. Um, you sort of think that Jimmy Anderson, if he gone one series too far now, he sort of seems to be not what he used to be. And obviously they've got a problem with not not having a spinner. And as I say, that that long tail as well. So um, they've certainly got a lot to think about between now and the next day, England. They they have indeed, uh, Graham. You did right there and. Uh, one of the other things they'll reflect upon is that uh, Nathan Lyon was not a factor in this match, and he is uh, yeah. by far and away uh, Australia's best bowler day in, day out on all surfaces, um, and that's why you play 100 test matches in a row. Uh, quite uh, quite fateful, really. 
Uh, you won't be playing the next three, I don't think. It's at 10.30. We'll take yeah, a quick break here with the paddle. So many overs as well. Yeah. yeah, that's the other thing, and very tight overs. Uh, Graham Beasley's with us this morning, as is Ben String, uh, the other panellists, and uh, we'll have a quick news break, and when we come back, uh, we'll talk about the demise of the mighty West Indies, shall we? Uh, what about Zoe Hobbs and uh, her uh, achievements getting through to the Olympics? And Vern Cotter, Vern Cotter will be a boss at the Blues. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Right, uh, we're with Graham Beasley and Ben Strang this morning. And uh, Ben, it's been confirmed that the West Indies failed to qualify for the first time ever after a seven-wicket loss to Scotland. And I talk about qualification for the 50-over World Cup in uh, India in uh, October and November. It is a sad tale, and I don't think it's unexpected the way they've been trending. No, it's been a long time coming. Uh, they, they've had financial turmoil within the, the West Indies Cricket uh, Association, if that's the name of it, for a very long time. Uh, and, and so I don't see this as being any surprise. They're struggling to get players to play the test format. Their, their players are all heading around the world and playing 2020 cricket because of that financial issue. Uh, they've, they've just gone backwards. They don't have players like... Brian Lara anymore. They don't have Shivnarayan Chanderpool, that sort of thing. They're they're lacking in the talent to to take them to the upper echelon of cricket at the moment. And at the same time, some of these so-called minnow nations seem to be improving uh, beyond anything we may have dreamed a long time ago for, for Scotland and the Netherlands and Ireland to be as competitive as they are is great for world cricket in, in some respects. But for the West Indies, it just shows how far they have fallen. And it's a real shame. And I I think the cautionary tale in all of this is for a team like New Zealand, when we're talking about um, maybe a la- lack of talent coming through the ranks in some regards, but also the financial uh, incentive to play 2020 cricket on that, on that circuit, you just wonder if it's, you know, my, my very pessimistic mind at this point is wondering whether, you know, in another 10, 15 years, it could be New Zealand who fail to qualify for a World Cup. You just have to worry about the way that world cricket is heading at the moment. Yeah, I, I think this is a bit scary. Uh, I think you're probably uh, spot on there. Graham, uh, from my point of view, you, you follow cricket uh, very, very closely. Uh, the thought of the West Indies not being a part of the world cricket scene is uh, is a bit scary, um, but I think now it's a real possibility, uh, and I'm talking about them as a team. There'll be West Indies individuals playing IPL cricket, etc., around the world, uh, ongoing. But as a unit, as a team, uh, they are, I think, perhaps on the way out. Yeah, they could be. Um, um, first of all, I I do think that this is a, a symptom of the blight of. Uh, uh, T20 franchise cricket and, and the impact it's having on the global game particularly with the smaller countries and Ben's right as it could affect us at some stage um, and that's why I think New Zealand cricket is right to take a bit of a hardline stance with Trent Bolt um, nothing against Bolt per se but just to make sure that this didn't become a, a common thing and that you know the, the, we might end up having to go through a qualification thing for a World Cup and have eight or nine people playing in T20 leagues around the world at the time, and think to prioritise that ahead of um, um, ahead of playing for the country. So that's why the whole central contract thing is important, um, and why that that needs to be well funded to incentivise those players to play for us. 
As for the West Indies, is a, it's going to say it's a country, but it's not a country, is it? It's a, the collection of all of the small countries as a playing unit. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's been so important to the history of the game. They won the first two World Cups. There was the Bar and Babylon era. Um, and you, Smithy, of course, you know, you, you toured there in 85 and that, that must have been as tough a tour as I think any, any New Zealand side would have undertaken. So for them to have fallen so far and so quickly is, is really sad. Now, I, I don't know how it can turn around, actually, um, unless there's some sort of ICC-sponsored injection of money into the, into the game in the Caribbean or maybe, you know, we've been saying this for a while now, but the, but the ICC just needs to get tough on all these T20 leagues and sort of in the way that they seem to be dominating the game because here's a, here's a really good example of the damage that is doing to the global game. Oh, look, I, I, I agree, but the problem is uh, for me is when uh, you don't look to breed test cricketers when you, you um, the, the cricketers themselves have it within them not to play test cricket. Um, they use that as a stepping stone to get recognised on the world stage. It's a bit back to front now in the West Indies. Um, so I'm, I'm not even sure they've got the right... Le- uh, money aside, I don't know if they've got the right uh, attitude and the right basis uh, to form a good test team, uh, let alone anything else at the moment. That that concerns me. Anyway, let's get on to uh, a more positive note, and particularly from New Zealand's point of view, Ben, because good weekend in the Diamond League uh, in, in Switzerland for us. We had uh, two or three uh, athletes performing uh, very close to their peak, including Zoe Hobbs, who again breaks the 11-second uh, barrier and qualifies for the Olympics. She's uh, flying, this girl. Yeah, it feels like it's been a long time coming where we've had these these sprinters coming through who look like they might actually be pretty decent on the world stage and we might be able to see a, a 100-metre sprinter uh, in, a, in an Olympic final, which would be absolutely remarkable. And so for her to qualify and, and at these sorts of times, you just feel like, you know, we're not wanting Zoe Hobbs necessarily to go out and, and, and beat the Jamaicans and win the, the Olympic gold medal, but for her to be in that final would just be so remarkable. The marquee event of the Olympics, a Kiwi in there would just be amazing. It would be fantastic. So I'm, I'm thrilled that Zoe Hobbs is, is you know, running these times, seems to be improving. Uh, that really bodes well heading into Paris next year. Uh, but Eliza McCartney as well, uh, having a you know a five year high to, to get back on the uh, on the podium in Switzerland that is uh, fantastic as well particularly with the a little bit of turmoil behind the scenes with her coach being investigated by the police that sort of thing or, or former coach perhaps um, it's fantastic to see her also in good shape and and finding form a, a year out from the Olympics. It is. Uh, I think it's a very good um, a very good result for Eliza McCartney. Hamish Kerr actually also. Uh, winning um, the high jump at um, Stockholm, four centimetres higher uh, than Belgium's Thomas Carmoy as well. So, uh, Graham, very, very encouraging. And um, this is, I think, shaping up to be quite a credible Olympic Games for us at this point. Yeah, it should be good, shouldn't it? And I agree with Ben that if Sally Hobbs was to make the final of the 100 metres, that would that would seem like a medal, even though she'd be unlikely to, to earn a medal on that. Uh, to, 
to to make the final in one of the glamour events like that would be um would be a victory in itself. Uh, great to see Eliza McCartney back, and again, as Ben said, there's been that whole sort of cloud of her former coach, etc. And and maybe now that she seems to have broken ties with him, that might see her her career on a bit of a a, a revival. Obviously, she's she's had her injury concerns over the last few years, but to see her back like that and probably at an age now where she should be at her peak I think we can have high hopes for her next year as well so um, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot to look forward to in terms of next year's Olympics uh, Just finally Ben uh, Vern Cotter to the Blues what did you make of that decision? I have, I've got mixed thoughts because Vern Cotter is a good coach and he has had, you know coached at various levels. He did a very good job with Scotland, I thought, back in the day. Uh, has had a, a successful career over in Europe. So if you are looking at his coaching credentials when you're selecting a coach as the Blues board, uh, you, you've probably made a very good move. At the same time, I've talked to you before and, and everyone sort of wonders about these coaching pathways in New Zealand and the fact that somebody from uh, the provincial championship couldn't step up into this role is a little bit alarming. I, I don't know uh, who the best option may have been, uh, but but these are the coaching pathways that New Zealand rugby wants. They want play, uh, these coaches to be able to see their future at, at a higher level. And so for a, for a coach to instead step back from from Europe and come back to a Super Rugby role, I'm just not sure uh, whether whether that's a good thing for New Zealand rugby as a whole. So I, I would have liked to have seen a, a coach developing further by going into this role rather than somebody stepping back from essentially the international fray. But at the same time, I think he'll be a good coach. Okay, uh, actually, uh, I'm with you too. Uh, where is that pathway that they talk about? Where you know you. you... I, I, I find it very interesting. I, I really do. Uh, Graham Beasley and Ben Strang have been panellists this morning. Thank you, gentlemen, very much for uh, your views on a, a number of things. And I think it'll be a, a little while before the fallout over the Johnny Bairstow dismissal uh, dies down somewhat. Uh, I think it's uh, only just beginning.